The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we jump back into the Gospel of Luke, we took one week off for Mother's Day. I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day, whatever that looked like for you, that you were celebrated the moms, the dads and children, you got to say thank you to mom. Uh, We're jumping back in, but I want to recap just where we've been so that we're all on the same page. Jesus is six months away from the cross, so his time here on earth is short. He knows that, but his disciples aren't getting it yet. So he's ramping up his teaching. He's like, you need to be ready. You need to have your heads on straight. And so for the last few weeks prior to Mother's Day, we looked at parables that Jesus taught to teach his disciples the importance of being ready when the bridegroom returns, when when Jesus comes back to take up his bride, to take up the church, how important it is to be ready for that moment. And then as you're waiting for that moment, a week before Mother's Day, we saw that you're going to be given kingdom opportunities based upon your ability. And these are things that you can do for the Lord to grow his kingdom. These are things that he expects you to do. And that's how you live the ready life. But Jesus isn't done yet. He's not done. There's there's still a crowd of people around him and he wants to make sure that all are ready. Everyone's ready to go for their moment, either their last breath or when Jesus comes back. But... But as we unpack this passage today, we have a bunch of verses. I want us to start with a quiz, a very simple quiz. If those of you who call Oklahoma your home, one of the prerequisites for being a member of this state is to think you're a junior weather person. You're a meteorologist. You know what's going on. And Jesus has a two-question meteorological quiz that I think we're all going to ace. Okay, so I'll ask you the two questions that he comes out of the gate with, and I, I want to see if you know the answers. Okay, very simple quiz. Number one, you look to the west, huge dark clouds. What does that mean? Once again, simple quiz, but look to the west, huge dark clouds, what does that mean? You feel a strong south wind as you wake up in the morning. What does that mean the day is going to be like temperature-wise? What, what does that mean for the temperature that day? A strong south wind in the morning. Now, those are two questions that for some people, they're like, I don't know. For Oklahomans, we got those down pat. Luke chapter 12, 54 through 56, we see why Jesus asked these questions and what he wants us to learn from them. Here it goes. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately say, it's going to rain. Ding, ding, ding. Those who guessed rain got that one right. And it does. Verse 55, when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. Ding, ding, ding. And it is. Verse 56, you hypocrites. Uh Uh-oh. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. You can look at the clouds and feel the wind and know what it's going to be like that day. You can do that. How is it then that you do not know how to interpret this present time? Here's all that Jesus is saying. You're watching me perform miracles that no one else has ever done. You've heard the prophets foretell of my coming and these miracles that I'm performing. You can read the signs in the sky, but you can't see what's right in front of me, what's right in front of you. You need to be ready, yet what I'm doing is not enough for you to get ready. You ignore those. 
It's as senseless as failing to see clouds in the west and deciding to go outside and play. You know a storm's coming. You need to get ready. You don't need to be foolish. You don't need to just continue to live your life. You need to get ready. For those who aren't meteorologists, he has a more legal quiz. I hope this one's not as easy for some of you. But here's basically the question. If you are guilty, you know you're guilty. You've done it. You know you're guilty, okay? Is it better for you to settle in court or out of court? You're guilty. Do you want to go to court and sit before a jury and a judge? Or do you want to settle out of court? Now, I've watched enough law shows that I know you want to settle out of court. You don't want to put your hands in the fate of the judge, okay? You don't want to do that. You want to fix it before it gets to that point. Same thing for your relationship with the Lord. Luke chapter 12, 57 through 59. Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. It's better to do it then. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny that you owe. If you have done wrong, and we all have, You don't want to go to trial. You don't. You want to take the plea agreement. And biblically, the plea agreement is simply this. Romans 3.23. We've all sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. It's better to make amends for that now. To repent now. Because failing to do so could cost you everything in the end. If you repent now, if you admit your guilt now, the judge will meet you in your repentance with grace and he will forgive your sins. He will pay your debt. If you choose to settle now, there is forgiveness and there is grace. Romans 3, 24, and all, all are justified freely by his grace through the repentance that came from Christ Jesus Our Lord, he's the one who pays the debt. He's the one who settles the account. He's the one who sets you free. You do not want to be drugged in front of the judge and then sent to prison because this parable is very clear. Failing to take the plea agreement now, admitting your guilt now, and having the one who can set you free and forgive you, having him come and transform your life, failing to do that will result... In your punishment. You don't want that. So Jesus has, in a very unique way, in my opinion, just shown us, hey, the signs are there. Time to get ready. Time to repent. Hey, if you see the signs, you need to make amends now. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another year. Don't wait another decade. Take the agreement now. Jesus' life for your life. It's a great deal. Don't go before the judge having failed to take that deal. Jesus knows that. And I pray that all of you listening today, that you know that as well. Jesus goes on and we'll turn the page into chapter 13, but it all goes together. There's some who go, I don't want the deal. I don't want anything to do with this. The world is just broken and there's no hope 
There's no God who's up there trying to orchestrate things. Look at how broken the world is. When you see the universal brokenness of the world, what do you do? And I'm going to mention two very dark things just briefly, okay? Terrible things that I think Jesus is going to highlight. But seeing the brokenness of the world, I don't think we see that any more real than maybe in a a church or a school shooting. They don't happen very often, but I was a senior when Columbine happened. I mean, that rocks you. That, that gets you to your core. You see the brokenness. They, these children are innocent. Someone walks into a church and just starts shooting. That, that's terrible. And it doesn't happen very often. But when it does, it, it gets us, all of us. It gets all of us. We see the brokenness. And what do you do with that? What do you do when you see the brokenness of the world? Well, Jesus' listeners, they, they bring up a very obvious brokenness, and they say, what's your response to that? Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Whew. This is the same Pilate who will oversee Jesus' execution, and at some point in his reign, which was probably a few years before Jesus came on the scene, he had seen a group of Galileans come into the temple in Jerusalem to offer their sacrifice and their worship. Josephus, a first century historian, he says that historically the Galileans were a little bit more riotous. They liked to cause revolts. And so the Romans who occupied Jerusalem at that time weren't going to stand for revolts. And so it's most likely that these men had caused some kind of insurrection at some point recently. And Pilate is able to see them come into the temple because the garrison in Jerusalem was located in the Tower of Antonia, which was in the northwest corner of the temple. So all the Roman soldiers are there, and they're able to oversee what's happening within the temple. And they go, oh, oh, there's those guys. There's those people that caused that revolt however long ago. And what Pilate does is he orders their death. And, and the imagery is so, so raw as they were offering a sacrifice to the Lord, Pilate had them murdered. He had them killed. Now, that was punishment being doled out for their crimes. But it says that their blood mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. That's, that's the brokenness of the world when, when you can get murdered in church. That, that's, as, that's as gross as it gets. The imagery is Horrible, but Jesus answered. And how he answered makes it unclear if he thought that those who asked the question were truly concerned about those men or just wanted to trap Jesus. We don't know because Jesus answers by teaching. That's just what Jesus does. He, he starts to teach. Luke chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Jesus answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Now, Jesus is teaching by asking a question because in the first century, especially amongst the Jewish people, it was thought that if something horrible happened to you, it was because of your sin. It was God punishing you. And Jesus says, so do you think because they were murdered in church that they were worse than the other Galileans? Is, is that what you think? I tell you, verse 3, no, no. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
They're no worse sinners than, than anyone else in Galilee. But unless you repent, he's talking to the questioners now, unless you repent, you too will all perish. He's saying, you think bad things happen to people because they sin. Newsflash. This is what Jesus is saying. Newsflash. Bad things happen because the world is broken. Bad things happen to good people all the time. And Jesus is saying, instead of mentally trying to balance the scales of injustice in this world, instead of trying to figure it out in your own mind, what, what does this mean? What does it mean for me? You need to do the one thing that you can do now. You need to repent. You need to turn to God. You need to turn to God because that's the only way that death is not the end for you. Death was the end for them. For those men, death was the end. But it doesn't have to be the end for you. So don't worry about them. Don't get caught up in them and what they may have done wrong or may have done right. Don't, don't get caught up in that. You work, about, you work on you. You worry about you. And Jesus says, you thought that was tragic. I'll give you another tragic example. Those guys probably caused a revolt. You want to hear a really tragic scenario? Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. How about those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? The Pool of Siloam was a place where people came to be healed. And we don't know when this happened. It's not recorded, but clearly it did. This tower collapsed, this building collapsed, and 18 people lost their lives. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? They just happened to be the 18 people in the building at that moment when that happened. Were they more evil? Is that, was that God punishing them? Jesus says, no, no, of course not. I tell you, unless you repent, you too will perish. So Jesus is giving two very recent modern day examples of things that occurred in Jerusalem. And he's saying, do you, do you really think that's God doing that? No, that's, that's the brokenness of the world. The, the question is, how will you respond? For us, Sitting here today, we, we don't know about the tower in Siloam. We, we know about the Murrow building and 168 people who lost their lives senselessly on that day. If that's too old for you, the Twin Towers, and even, even that now is two decades ago, but the Twin Towers, the 2,977 people, and I feel bad. I, I actually had to look that one up. I knew it was around 3,000, but... I had to look that up. Those were souls. Those were lives. Those were people that died senselessly in a terrorist, terrorist attack. Were, were they more guilty than anyone else in New York? No. Were the people in the Murrow building any more guilty? No. That was the day they met God, that day for all of them. And the only thing that matters, as Jesus is trying to show us here, the only thing that matters because they did nothing wrong to deserve that. The only thing that matters was, were they ready? Had they turned from their sinfulness and their wickedness? Had they turned to God? Had they placed their faith in him? Jesus is saying very clearly, worry about yourself, worry about those that you love, and pray that you can repent and that they can turn to God as well. Jesus tells a final parable. And it will come full circle back to this repentance, repent or perish. It will come back to that. But this one speaks a little bit more to that constant life, how you're living now. Remember I told you the be ready and then the obedience. This, this whole section is just part two of that message. But, but I want you to listen to this parable, okay? Luke chapter 13, six through nine. 
Then Jesus said this, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. So he's got a wine vineyard, but he decided to plant a few fruit trees just along the way. So he planted a fig tree. And he went to look for the fruit on it, but he didn't find any. He planted this tree. It it grew for a little while. The leaves came out, but he went to go pick the figs, and there are no figs there. Verse 7. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, he said to the gardener, Hey, it's been three years now. I've been coming to look for fruit on this stinking fig tree, and I haven't found any. So I'm done with it. It's taking up space. I want you to cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? So not only is it failing to bear fruit, but it's taking nutrients out of the ground that the other fruit trees in the vineyard need. So just, we need to get rid of it. It's fruitless. It's barren. It's time to go. Verse 8, sir, the man replied, can you leave it alone for one more year? I'd love the opportunity to dig around it, to fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, great. We'll, We'll keep it. We'll keep it. If not, then we'll cut it down. Because you can't keep a tree in the vineyard that doesn't bear fruit. Now, this lesson is very clear, okay? There's zero confusion as to what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, read the signs. The time is now. Don't get so caught up in the fact that you live in a broken world and it's not fair because it's not ever going to be fair. Instead, do what you can do now to prepare yourself for eternity. Stop getting bogged down in the little things. And while you're waiting for eternity, bear fruit. Be fruitful. If you don't, it will be bad for you. Because in the kingdom of God, in the vineyard of God, fruitful people are a drain on those around them. Okay? They, they consume but they contribute nothing. They take, but they offer nothing back. In the story, God is obviously the owner of this vineyard, and he agrees to allow those who are working the vineyard to fertilize and care for this fruitless tree. God is ridiculously patient, church. Ridiculously patient. And beyond any amount of reasonable time, he wants to see you bear fruit. He'll give you tons of time to do that. And while God's patience is immense, it is not inexhaustible. Because there will come a time where he'll say, you've got, you've got to do something. You've got to bear fruit somehow. He will not allow a person to remain unfruitful. So therefore, this passage does come full circle. Repent. Turn to God. Bear fruit. Or perish. Perish. Church, judgment is coming on all of us. The rebels who were murdered in the temple, the 18 victims of a building collapse, those who bear or fail to bear fruit. Judgment's coming to all of us. We can't escape it, but we can be ready. And we read this passage a few weeks ago. And it's one that I'm reminded of for this moment. 1 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to return. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, incredibly patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
And so church today, will you choose to accept God's infinite grace? It's so amazing, his grace covers over all of your sins. It is sufficient for all of your needs. Will you accept his infinite grace, the patience that he's showing you right now because you're still breathing and he has yet to return, the patience he's showing you and will you repent? Will you, will you turn to him? Will you trust in him for your life, for your eternity? Will you bear fruit? For him, That comes as a result of your flourishing faith being lived out. It's not just something you go, I'm going to go bear fruit. No, that, that's the faith living in you, producing the fruit that God desires from your life, fruit from faithful obedience. Will you pray for those that you know need to repent? Maybe you're good. There's a lot of people in this world that aren't. Will you pray by name for those people? Will you let us know who you're praying for so we can join with you in praying for them. Just jump on summitonline.tv forward slash prayer and just let us know. Be praying for so-and-so that they would come to know the Lord. Jesus says in this passage, repent or perish. That sounds so incredibly harsh until you realize this profound truth. Jesus wants no one to perish. That's why he came to this earth and gave up his own life so that no one would have to. So his words are not harsh. They're a loving warning. Repent or perish. Father, today, may no one who hears this message fail to respond. May all who hear be moved by your grace to place their faith in you. And God, may in doing so, they find eternal life. May no one perish. May no one perish. As Lord, you have paved the way for all, all to spend eternity with you. Help us see that love. Help us see that grace. Help it, help it change us from the inside out. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.